everybody. This is Chad Myers. You're listening to The Subversive, and uh, we have a full house today, and that's really exciting. So uh, looking forward to our conversation. We are at the, uh, the coffee shop, Upshot, and uh, it's chilly, but we're staying warm. Uh, and we'd love for you to come check out uh, Connor and Upshot. If you haven't heard episode number three with Connor's story, uh, you want, you'll, you'll want to listen to that and then uh, see the good people here in Cottleville. So we're glad to be here with you. And this is episode number eight. It is Man, Myth, and the Search for Meaning, part one. Ooh. Yes. Which means there's going to be more parts. <laughs> this is the first installment of any uh, podcast that we've had more episodes on. Part two is where we find meaning. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to do spoiler. Spoiler yeah, alert. <laughs> Man myth today and the search for meaning. So yeah. Hey, just want to say thanks for listening. Uh, we get we get some feedback from you uh, wherever you are in different parts of the country. Uh, thanks for showing some love. So uh, glad you're joining us on this journey. And our special guest today uh, is no stranger to us in this room, and maybe no stranger to you, Mike Sherman. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Good to be here. So what's... (laughs) (laughs) I thought somebody else was going to say hello, but they just stared at me. It's good to have him. (laughs) So what's great is that um, Mike and I actually do another podcast. It's just Mike and I, Mm -hmm. and uh, Rogue Table Talk. Rogue Table Talks. Yes, indeed. So... Subscribe, rate, review. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and that that is in line uh, with like the church series, the different sermons that we go through. And that's, uh, that's a fun time. Yeah. And, yeah. We take that as a jumping off point and then just talk about whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But the difference is on that one, we don't let Jacob talk. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I but talk let on him this talk. one all the time. He doesn't have a and microphone. That's true. Yeah. Me in the room. Yeah. Right. We lock Kyle out. Right. <laughs> we Kyle's, don't give Jacob don't a tell, microphone. Don't tell Kyle when and where we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's always the wrong room number. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah. So, but I'm, I'm happy to have you here, Mike, because I know you have multiple gifts and different um, uh, expertises. Uh, if that's plural like that, that you bring to the table. And one of them is about our conversation today. And we're going to be talking about story. We're going to be talking about finding meaning in story. Hopefully we're going to help people get an awareness for what story they think they're living mm-hmm. and what role they think they're playing in that story. Um, I think that's very important for uh, next steps into maturity, into fully stepping into who you are and what you're called to do in this world is um, being in tune or awake to what story you think you're living. What is yeah, it? Right. So w- what do you think? Just let's let's jump the rabbit in the bush. Is that a saying? Mm-hmm. Sure it is. <laughs> it's a story I read once. <laughs> it is now. Yes. Let's make it one. <clears throat> um, what do you think currently before we kind of dive into uh the depths of what you want to share what are popular storylines today that people buy into that we specifically western um americans um what do you think we buy into well it's you know i think as our in our culture there are these sort of through lines of how we make sense of the world or what we think life is about and really in, a, in, in the sense that we're talking about it today, that's sort of the story we're living. Like, for instance, you are what you accomplish, 
right? You are accomplishment is your meaning. You do more, uh, you get, you know, get more done, you get more credit, you move up the ladder, you get promoted or whatever. And that's your value. Now, nobody would say that propositionally if you asked them what their life was about. Right. They wouldn't say, well, I just think my accomplishments define me and I'm, I'm accumulating accomplishments. But we live as if that's the story. Like if somebody was writing a story of our life and, yes. they, and, and we read that story, someone might say, oh, and really that guy was really all about his accomplishments. So we, we, there's a popular storyline, we exist to achieve. Right. And I love that you said, but you wouldn't really say that out loud because right. once you expose it, you realize, is that what I, is that what I really want? Yeah. Right. Is that the most attractive, right. d- deep, true, meaningful story I could live in? Most people would say no. Right. Even people who are accomplished would say, um, people sometimes maybe who haven't accomplished or let's say earned a lot of money if that's their thing or had a bunch of experiences might say, well, my life will have meaning when I'm able to do this. And yeah. I haven't yet. Um, but most people I think who have done many of those things wouldn't look back and say, yeah, that was really me. That was my life was really meaningful because yeah. I accomplished a lot or right? Right. I made a lot of money. Right. And so I think that's the, that's the, that's the trick is we never actually put ourselves in a position to ask what story am I living? So we don't, we don't get to that point. Mm. And if somebody says to you, you're all about money or you're all about, you know, recognition, you're all about, you'd say, no, I'm fame, not. power, yeah, you'd say, I'm success. Not. No, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, it may not be true because if our life was a script and we were to step back and look at it, that would tell us more truth than maybe what we say at the time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cause I think that's, if you think of a story and you think characters in the story that you are familiar with, you would, somebody said, describe this character to you, you'd probably make a, a list of propositional statements that you're really distilling, you're abstracting from this bigger thing called the story. Uh, and since you recognize it as being a story, you can, you can do that. But yeah. we don't do that about ourselves because we, we don't think of ourselves as I'm living, I'm living in a story. Right. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm authoring it to some degree. I'm living in the smaller story, but I'm also living in a bigger story in which my story is a, is a part. And, or I might be living storylines that I'm not aware of. Yeah, I think that's key. Am I even aware of the storylines that are influencing me or that I'm really living for it? So let me throw out some other ones and anybody interact or uh, push back or disagree. I think some other ones that I see that are deeply seductive as this is the capital story is I exist to buy something Mm -hmm. like this is why I'm here. Um, I exist to be entertained. Yes. Like I'm your, my, my whole point is you're supposed to put on a show for me. Right. And I'm a spectator as opposed to some type of meaningful contributor or participant. Um, maybe I exist to be outraged. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I exist to be outraged. Uh, I live in an outrageous world, and my 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 storyline is to call out the outrages of the world. Um, and as you're talking, another one I'm thinking of is I'm I exist to present a life to you that you approve of. Oh, uh-huh. ouch! Okay, you're not welcome <laughs> on the show anymore. <laughs> that one hurt. <laughs> I mean, isn't that? 
I mean, if half of social media is outrage, the other half is that. Yeah. Right. The highlight reel. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. I'm aren't, winning. Aren't I killing it? We're, we have a right. great marriage. Right. Our parenting is, you know, yeah. stellar. Yeah. When that's just not true. Yeah. And I don't know that that's social media is an accelerant of that. Mm-hmm. But I think when people, you know, did slideshows, you know, it was the same. It was this, it's you know a low technology version of the same thing. <laughs> What's a slideshow? <laughs> Don't we all hate sitting through slideshows? slideshows? Yes, yes, yeah. right. right. We're talking about PowerPoints, right? <laughs> exactly. I think I said tape cassette a few weeks ago. <laughs> sure did. I remember. Kyle was like, "That's cassette tape." <laughs> My so. wife's dad had he, uh, boxes of slides because he was convinced he was a bit of a he was an engineer. Mm-hmm. He was a bit of a you know, technologist uh, in his own right. And, you know, if he would have had a ton of money, he would have spent a lot of gadgets, but he's, he was convinced slides were of higher quality. And so every once in a while he would, you know, break out the slide machine and click, 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 click. Now, if you're younger, you'll have to Google that probably, <laughs> right? Google slide machine yeah. or slide projector or whatever. Uh, but point being, I think that idea of, here we are posed in front of this thing, smiling, having a good time. This is, this is a good life we're living, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's because I don't know if we really sense that. Boy, I'm living such a, you know, I don't know if Mother Teresa ever did that. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. if I'm living such a outward focused, sacrificial self-evidently meaningful life i don't need to project anything you you die to something yeah of that you thought you needed you die to that because right. you're actually doing yeah it. i'm not even worried about that yeah i don't i don't need people to approve of that anymore or right. to give me the likes or to and i get it that's a real struggle so i'm not judging anyone for that like i get that to some degree we all do we well that. i was listening to a talk this morning and it was so refreshing because um the guy was happy yelling you know, like he's yelling, but he's so happy about it. <laughs> it's like the kind of yelling that's attractive. Mike, you look confused. <laughs> Have you I, never heard I, happy yelling, I Mike? Would, I would not be happy with someone else happy yelling. <laughs> but he was like... I don't know that I've ever happy yelled. <laughs> Kyle, you, you know try me for it. a while. Do you think I've happy yelled? I haven't heard it. No. <laughs> But I don't know if I've heard you really raise your voice. Yeah, well, you, you have go. an angry yell. So, well, there you go. Maybe they're like come from the same place, but he was yeah. happy about it. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, he said, um, he's like, guys, you you know, like we're all bluffing. We're, and it, was, it, it was great. It was great in like two minutes of just his like happy rant. <laughs> it was like, we're all bluffing. We're all faking it. We're all posing to some degree. Like they're not as cool as you think they are. Right. They're not as that's put right. together as you think they are. That's right. It's okay. Yeah. And so I think that's a great storyline to kind of expose because I think we all feel the pull, whether we have social media or not, that's not even the issue. There's something in the human condition that says, I maybe need you to approve that I'm getting my story right. Yeah. Or I'm winning at my story or... Because deep down, I don't, I doubt it. I'm, I'm insecure. Yeah, I'm insecure. Deep or, down. or maybe I'm just not messing up. Right. Yeah, I'm you not know. screwing my story up. Right. Is that what Maybe you're I'm saying? not doing anything spectacular, but I'm also not doing anything to really ruin yeah, that's anything. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think even speaking into story and even media and culture, uh, the show Mad Men, it's a cultural piece, 50s, 60s, social media doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But keeping up appearances, keeping up with the Joneses, all of those sayings stemming from that 
era and whether, you know, the couple is actually together or not, right? The wife still shows up to show, to make the appearance. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a common story and it's thread throughout, at the very least, our Western culture for decades. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. So, so what's your, what's the storyline we're buying into and maybe multiple ones? Um, what's the narratives? Uh, you know, what are you drawn to? Where does it come from in those deeper places of your heart? Like, why do we think we need that as a story? And so we're, we're going to hopefully talk about, you know, we, we've exposed some of those, but then hopefully we're going to talk about the attraction of story, mm-hmm. the need for story. Yeah. Like people don't just live on um, uh, propositional truths. Right. Well, I think we think, or some of us think we can okay. just explain it. Yeah. Spell it out for me. Uh, and sometimes, uh, uh, perhaps it's a political platform might be that for someone and that, that is their explanatory grid or a theological platform. Here's 20 theological statements and that that's what does it for me. But really, I think we, we miss something that's be, it goes be like the propositional statements might all be true. But there's something that goes beyond that's bigger than that that you can't really capture in a series of sentences. Because um, even if you look at to to expand on you know the question you asked earlier about storylines, if you look at our culture, let's take it you know maybe abstract at one level back out. What are some storylines that are true about our culture that we are all living in? And, you know, that you could say it's anti-institutional, anti-authoritarian. You don't trust anyone, mm. you know, anyone with power or money or position. Yeah. You don't, we don't trust them. Storyline of suspicion. Sp- suspicion, yeah. right. Um, and in a sense also, and you know, this is <clears throat> probably another whole podcast, but I, there's this apocalyptic uh, through line that w- I'm not sure if we're in a story, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to end well. Yeah. Yeah, that like is another podcast. That's part three, part three. Right. <laughs> the, and right. the apocalypse. And I do feel like there's this sense that you're that we're all in our culture, culturally, we all can feel like we're in a story that um, if, it feels like a story you've read where you feel like something bad is going to happen soon. Yeah, right. You, right. You're reading a story and you're like, okay. I, I think I can see it coming. Tension builds. Tension builds. Yeah. Music changes in music the movie, changes. whatever. Yeah. Um, and and so I think even to understand that, I think actual fictional stories give us some handle or they can give us a way to look at it that we can understand. We can read a story or watch a story if it's a movie, same, same idea here, that shines a light on something uh, that's true. Yeah that I wouldn't get any other way. Yeah. It's very unsatisfying um, to, to hear something placed in a propositional truth. Like you get it right. and you can memorize it and lock it down, but it only reaches a certain aspect of the psyche. It only goes into a certain place of the emotions if it touches those. But then you see something played out on the right. screen or in a song or in a book. And that's when, it, it, when you find that thing in the context of story, then it resonates with yeah. something deep inside, yeah. deep inside of right. it. Right. That's right. I wonder too, and maybe this is part two, is the lack of cohesiveness and the lack of congruency in 
people's understanding of um, story today, not not the story that I'm living in, the meaning of life. Yeah, I think the that, I think that without having that, that's part of the dread that we feel in the smaller stories that we're living, or the the suspicion, or the mistrust, or um, that not recognizing that my story is in a bigger story, even if I'm trying to understand my story, I'm asking too much of it because it can't explain more than this unless I put it in the bigger, right. bigger context. Um, you know, it's like reading, you know, one part of a book and you, you know, you're only going to get a certain part of it, but you're not going to get the whole big sweep of the scope of the story. And I think that's sort of, you know, where we are too, that is probably more part two, where um, how does my understanding my story through story or otherwise, how does it fit in the bigger story? And how does that bigger story then help me understand my story? And how can I see the bigger stories in other stories that I read? And so Mm. it's sort of a cycle, sort of a loop. Yeah, a reciprocal nature of how me as the individual fits into the collective whole and how the collective whole helps me find my place in the story throughout history. So, okay, that sounds like a great part too. Um, What is, like, what is the need for story? Why, like, transition us into some of that topic? So I guess, you know, a thesis for us here, maybe for this one is uh, there, are, there are parts of life, elements of life, reality, love, purpose, meaning, grief, pain, loss, uh, redemption, uh, purity that can't be really conveyed or understood outside of story because we live in a story. And, it, it, you know, we're, we're going to betray our own thesis if we don't actually start talking about some stories. Yeah. Go. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> right. So uh, like for an example, if you've not seen uh, the movie Leave No Trace, it's just a recent movie I saw that resonated in this way. Uh, bit of a spoiler alert, but not a lot. Uh, you should watch the movie regardless. I, I recommend it. Um, well, how, how recent is it? So we get, if they've, if it's been out a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's been out a year. It's your fault. Uh, at least maybe more. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's a story of a, of a veteran uh, and his daughter, and he's got PTSD, and he's, he can't really live in civilization. And so the movie opens, and they're in the woods, and it's sort of idyllic. And they obviously love one another and have this close bond, but she's probably 13, 14, something like that. Uh, and so already you're watching the story, and you think, this is beautiful, but... How long can they do this, right? Uh, and they get discovered. Um, one of the sweet things about the movie is that everyone's trying their best to help this father and daughter sort of make it in life. And, you know, they kind of go from one good setting to another good setting, but he just can't do it. He just can't. He's too damaged. Uh, and they're finally in this little kind of campground settlement of these really nice people and they could stay there. People would take care of them. And he just, you know, he starts packing up and heading back into the woods like they have, you know, a dozen times. And she clearly doesn't, doesn't want to go. And there's this moment when he's, you know, he's, they're trying to walk back towards the woods and she stops. And you could, right at that moment, you can tell he realizes she's not coming. And turns around, they look at each other and, and 
she says, what's wrong with you is not wrong with me. <laughs> that's what I did. Have you yeah, said <laughs> And so, and there's this beautiful sort of poignant departure, sort of grief and sadness and pain and beauty and love. And that names something about every parent and every child, yeah. right? right? Like there's a universal statement there that you could say, yeah, every parent inflicts some of their brokenness on their child and there's no way around it. And every child must find a way to break away from that. But that's a cold <laughs> propositional statement. But you see it in the story and it's like, oh. So it, it resonates in a way that it's not, it, it's not up in your head. Right. It's in your, it's in your heart and your gut. And you're processing it somewhat in your head, but only sort of, it's like you're in the story and every once in a while you have to pop up and sort of make sense of the story. Um, so how do I do that? You know, what's wrong with me that's not wrong with my daughter? What's wrong with me that's not wrong with my sons? What is that? What have I inflicted upon them? Uh, what did I require them to do? What was I inflicted from my yeah. parents? Uh, what does a kind of a healthy, loving, breaking away look like, which is what this movie uh, depicts. And you just can't get to that same level of resonance, of impact and meaning outside of the story. I mean, you could have a, like a, you know, a TED Talk or something on parenting, and right. it'd be good, and people would share it, but it's not the same thing at it's all. It's really not, and, and I think people... Uh, you know, for someone who lives in their head a lot, those people that have the ability to tell stories like this and to depict it in a way where you get to participate in it, like, oh, I can relate to this character and I can understand it. It pricks the heart at a level that really needs it. And you don't know necessarily you need it until it creates an upheaval in you. And you're yeah. like, oh, and just like you said, what questions now I have to wrestle with something. Yeah. Now I have to emotionally engage in something where if I could just keep it at a mental distance, which I would argue most propositions you can do, but the, the penetrating nature of story says you have to wrestle with this in an existential way. Yeah. And you have to deal with this because this is what it did. It just connected with uh, your humanity. Right. 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 And if you, if I think about that, like what happens, like how does that happen? You know, I, I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm going to surprise. I'm not that super emotional person. Is that surprising? <laughs> no, yeah, it's a bit surprising. Yeah. <laughs> that was sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, you can't see the sarcasm in my face. But I almost cried in recounting that. Yeah. I could uh, feel movie, that, actually. And I did cry yeah. in the theater. So what's up with that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's somehow you get invited into this other reality this other place this other story you're sort of lost with them right i think chad and i were talking about this earlier i think what's beautiful about it too because that same thing like i'm crying at the end of that mm -hmm. movie is i can't relate on a one-to-one -one. i have a five-year-old and a two-year-old i'm not a veteran but i'm crying at the end of the movie and i think if it's done broadly like you said like a ted talk or something like that if it's broad i don't know that i get there emotionally right. so it goes very specific to a situation i can't really relate to specifically but because it's so honest and so 
like true to them, I can connect with it on some level. That's, that's beautiful. That's, that's how stories work though, right? They invite you into some particular thing that on the outside would feel too particular, yeah. but it's, there's something universal in that particularity if the story is told yeah. well, right? Yeah. Cause you're invited in to like, you're part of the story as you're reading a book or as you're watching this, like, I feel like I'm sort of in there with them. And I want it to work out and I'm invested in some way. Right. Uh, and I'm rooting for him and I'm rooting for her and whatever. And it comes to this point and now I'm involved at a heart level that you're just not probably going to get any other way. Yeah. You said it three times and I was thinking that that word it's invitational. Mm -hmm. And so the nature of it is it's disarming to you. And then it, it, because it's story, and people automatically find meaning in story. This is an N.T. Wright uh, quote the other day. He said, uh, you know, people don't live on etymology. That is like one word concepts. Uh, they live on narrative. And so people attach meaning to narrative. So there's something that's disarming about narrative. And then we, we identify with, or I'm against, or I'm for, like I'm in this thing. That's why I think it's so powerful is because it's slowly, um, you slowly let your guard down to attach yeah. to the story and you want it, you're, you're longing, you're aching, you want it to work out a certain way. You're afraid it's going to not work out a certain way. You're disappointed. Like all of these things are just going on while you're being invited. Yeah. As you say in the story. Yeah. And I think when we talk propositionally, especially cause we're in such a contentious culture, we kind of have a stake in a certain position or a predisposition to believe this and not believe that. Right. right? <clears throat> but the story sort of, like you don't realize that's happening. You're just invited into the story and it's not about anything propositional going on. And when then something happens and now you can have to, you have to kind of step away from the story slightly and go, what just happened? And you don't bring all that other baggage that you would in a debate or a whatever, you know, you don't bring that sort of, okay, what tribe am I in or what side am I on or what, None of that, because I'm in the story, and the only people that matter are the few characters in the story. You're because I'm in a, I'm in another world, right? And that's one of the things Tolkien talks about is, uh, uh, you you invent this other world and you invite people into it, and if you're good enough, they accept the fact that they're in this other world, and then whatever you say in that other world, if it if it's congruent with that world, makes you can yeah, there are hobbits, yeah. there are whatever. Because once I'm in the world and I start to believe the world, then whatever you tell me that fits in with that world, you know, like if a car drives back down through the Shire, you know, a convertible or something, that's, right. okay, now you lost me. <laughs> yeah, that's actually ludicrous. The <laughs> fantasy world that, that logically all makes sense together isn't. Isn't. It, it all, and once I'm in, and once I start stop questioning, um, you know, does this make sense or would this really happen? I'm just now in the story now the story kind of has me and it's going to do something mm. with me. Um, you know, one of the things that there's another, uh, you know, as we go through here, C.S. Lewis is a favorite author, J.R. Tolkien's a favorite author, Marilyn Robinson's a, is a favorite author. And I just thought of this quote uh, from the, you know, her famous trilogy, Gilead Home and, and, and Lila. And uh, one of the, Lila's had a really, Hard life, really hard life. There's a character in her, a character her trilogy. In book, yeah. And she, there's, it's a story of redemption and grace, but then she sort of looks back on this 
really, really difficult life of abject poverty. And, uh, you know, she has to be a prostitute for a while and just shame, you know, uh, degradation. And looking back on it, she's, she's, uh, she says she had told herself, this is from Lila, she had told herself that she went to the movies just to see people living because she was curious. She'd more or less decided she had missed out on it herself, so this was the best she could do, and it wasn't so bad. And in that... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And in that statement, it's, you know, she's saying to herself, and it wasn't that bad. And that just shows, oh, man, what a... What a sad, horrible place to be. Yeah. But then as you're, as you're following her along and you look at her looking back on this thing, this period of her life, and she's actually ironically living in St. Louis uh, during this time where she has to be a prostitute. And she, every once in a while, she'd get to go to the movies. Um, and she says, you know, she, she would go to the movies because she thought she'd missed out on life and she wanted to see what it looked like. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people I know mm -hmm. who do the same thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're not forced. They're not being trafficked or anything. Right. But they, the, they don't know their own story that the thread of their own story is lost to them or makes no sense or they just don't like it. And so instead of that story shining a light on them, it shines a light on some reality they wish they had. Right. They escape temporarily into a story because they don't like their own story. Well, I think I can relate to that. There's definitely parts of me. I'm 39 years old. And so for blah, 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 20, 30 plus years, my story felt too hard to live. It felt too hard to own. It felt too hard to say, this is me and it's worth doing something about. So I would say, yeah in one way or a dozen ways i can understand i just wanted to look at the movie to be like i feel like i missed out and i feel like there was a doomedness to it yeah there was a doomedness to i don't think i can reclaim this thing yeah i don't i think it's i think it's gone i think it's past and um this almost like desperation leading to like to a giving up like okay then i'll just i'll just watch it pass me by um, now, thankfully, mm -hmm. um, you can call it a dozen things, grace and mm -hmm. fighting and people who are around me that um, love me enough to say, own your story, like do something about it, like get in the game mm -hmm. and stop sitting and watching. Um, I think I'm doing that to some degree, but I can understand like checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a million ways to do that right, right now. Right. Um, yeah, I think that that and that's kind of the power of story can be used to to delve into a deeper reality of my own life or it can be used to escape yeah and ignore the the you know the parts of my life that it, and I, you know i'm not saying that's always a bad thing right to you know have some escapist sort of story that you love that's yeah, we're fine. not we're not being judging yeah, on binge and netflix for a day <laughs> right. you know no, we fine. get it <laughs> uh, but i think that that it goes even beyond because the stories we tell ourselves about other people have the same sort of, like we can look at other people the way Lila looked at the movies and think, oh, that must be what life's about. I've missed out on it. And I'm just making a story up about oh, you. Oh, that's really good. Right? 
I yeah. mean, I don't know what your life obviously is like. You might be saying the same thing about me, but that's what we do, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I think one of the things, and I think you, I think you've talked in this podcast about first half of life, second half of life, right? Yeah. Where I think maybe the first half of life, you sort of try to construct a story. In the second half of life, maybe you have to figure out what does it mean for me to live in this story? Like, good. who am I and how do I, what is my story about now that I'm established and have a degree and have a job and whatever? Okay, now what, I'm, what am I going to do? Because I think a lot of, I think a lot of people in high school and college, I don't know if you're super capable of knowing what your story is going to be. So you sort of construct the, the framework of it, the superstructure, the foundation of it. Yeah. Uh, and then some people sadly just never get off of that. And then it never becomes more than that. Right. They just keep accomplishing one of the storylines. They just keep accomplishing. I'm loving this, this metaphor. I think it's powerful. So, uh, the first half of life, um, you are constructing the stage and the set design and you're, you know, there's the trap doors and here's the curtains and here's how this is going to be for this scene and da, 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 da. And I think the invitation to the second half of life, if we could use it this way is to, okay, now get your cue cards mm-hmm. and step on the stage and in, embody the story. Yeah. Like you have a significant role to play and it's not just to construct something, it's to be something yeah. in the construct that right. you've built. To live it out, to flesh it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that for me as a Christian, th- I think, what's that? Wait, wait, you're, wait, what, <laughs> what? This is a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> to think of, I, I think that the bigger story, and that's another p- cultural thing that we talked about, this, the, the apocalyptic thing perhaps is that we don't believe we're all in a big story together, but it's the bigger story the, the knowledge that I'm in this bigger story helps make sense of my smaller story. Or maybe a better way to say it is things that won't make sense any other way are made sense of. And that's part of the, the, the faith of a believer is that this will be made sense of somehow. I don't know how. Right. It's, it's not fully absurd. It yes. does my experience. Right. Is right. that there's a lot of absurdity. Yes. Right. I can hold some level of absurdity and not have to prove it to be anything other than that. But by faith, it, it's going to be re- resolved in some in some way. And I think that's for, for anyone, like my story just by itself, even if it's well lived, I think it's hard not to have some level of absurdity because well, we all die. And then in some, you know, geologic time frame, everyone we know, everyone we've ever known will also be dead. And, and then the sun will burn out and then the stars are real cold and no one will be around to tell any stories. Well, that seems rather dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think is part of the apocalyptic flavor of our culture right now. Uh, but if that's not all there is, if this story really is to be lived faithfully without exactly knowing like where it's supposed to go, because I can trust that there is an author who's going to make sense of it all and weave me into the grander story yeah. that doesn't end. 
uh, then I can live and not, I can live, kind of relax. You can accept the absurdity you experience because that's true, yeah. but there's a hopefulness there. That's right. Like you, you do have to walk amongst the tombstones that's right. and stare death in the face and say, yeah. ugh, yeah. I'm scared. Right. I'm fragile. Right. That's going to own me. We all lose to that. Yes. And yet there's always something on the other side. Mm-hmm. There's something on the other side. And so the apocalyptic theme of none of this makes sense and everyone dies in the end and there is no Mm -hmm. ultimate reality you have to challenge that a bit yeah Um, that's right i do think that's right because i think you know the christian meta narrative is creation fall redemption and then recreation or fulfillment or consummation and we're in this redemptive phase where things are broken but redemption is available redemption is able to be lived and given and experienced but only temporarily or only partially because one day, uh, it, let's, I'll make another story reference, right? So in uh, Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, and they finally, they finally all get to whatever the version of heaven is uh, in, that, in, that, in that reality that Lewis has created, as we talked about before. And I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but basically it's like, all of the stories of, you know, also all the Chronicles of Narnia, all the stories, all the things, all the things that happen were only the title and the cover page. And now the real story begins. Mm. And I think if I really believe that, then there's a lot of my life. I, it's not going to, I'm okay that it, it's the title and the, it's a cover and the, you know, the title yeah, page. We're just getting started. Just getting started. Just getting like started. I don't have to have everything make sense. That's good. Because I'm part of this much bigger story. And without that, then I just think I, my story probably can't fully, can't fully hold up. Or I have to sort of, this is just my opinion, others can maybe push back. I think that without that, we have to be a little bit dishonest about our stories. Yeah. Like that it has to all get sewn up or that it has to all be something. When in, I don't believe we're in that place. Say more about that, like the crossroads of... Where we have to, okay, if it's going to be like this, then we have to be dis, a little bit dishonest. What do you mean? Yeah, I just think that, that, um, so as someone who, as, as a pastor, you see people die mm-hmm. and you're around families of people that die. And there's always this delicate balance of comfort and truth that, and I think people, people that I'm, very close to you, they've gone through this in my own family, that they will say things about the life of the person who's died that they wouldn't have said. Sure. Two years ago, nobody would have said. Right. Uh, because they almost feel like they have to give some meaning or some something or some closure mm-hmm. that no one person's life can do that. Um, because, uh, you know, I believe there's a bigger author who then is the only one who can make sense of all of that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it's hard for us when we're living just in a smaller story, uh, it can seem absurd. It can seem unredeemable. It can seem bleak. And so I either pretend it isn't or that, that drives me somewhere to find that Mm -hmm. meaning, find that what is true then, what, what does redeem this then? Uh, and for me, that's Christian faith. Um, I don't know what that, I mean, I'm, that's who I am. So I don't know what that's like outside of that. But my experience is, uh, 
it's hard for people in that position to say, yeah, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why that they did that. You know, I don't know why, you know, they were this way. Uh, because, because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Right. Uh, let me throw this out at you. I wonder, um, and this may be entree into part two. Um, I wonder if the Western rugged individualism, uh, post enlightenment, um, emphasis on the self as opposed to the emphasis on the collective and, and it becoming about me and, and my story only as the ultimate yeah, uh, place right. to find meaning. I wonder if that is, uh, there's a connection to the despair that people experience today. Uh, and, and this is, uh, philosophically mm-hmm. and churches usually last to follow. So mm-hmm. theologically it's definitely become, uh, individualistic, mm-hmm. but I wonder if that burden of meaning and purpose and story is too much to bear for one person. Right. It's just too much to bear by myself. The ultimate glory of humanity and the shame of humanity was never meant to be on my individual shoulders. Right. We were, that's a shared place in the story. Right. An individual life, not unconnected to the bigger story an individual life unconnected to other stories can't bear the weight of that meaning. It just can't. You could be the most successful outwardly successful person ever uh and you know joy wisdom love faith grace peace those probably escape because they're not they're not found there Mm -hmm. and i think they're found in connection to a bigger story Mm -hmm. um you know they're they're given their gifts Mm -hmm. given by someone else and so i think that's um the 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 tragedy of our individualistic life is it it promises some freedom you can do what you want you can be who you want but it really isn't freedom and you can't be you you can't actually be what you want right that's not fully true it's not fully true right uh you know we you know and it's growing in fact less true as as we as we enter more fully into outrage culture that we don't even have freedom Mm -hmm. you know um because uh so many things are condemned um, so I think that's the, like, can I, can I see myself as in a story? Like if, if my life was a movie, where would it be going? Mm-hmm. What would pe- people think of me as a character? Well, that's good. Right. What like kind of character what kind am of I character in the story? Be, right? I don't want to think about or it's that. depressing. <laughs> I don't want to think about that, honestly. But I think there is an author who puts us in a story who loves us and who wants to bring the best character development out of us, right? Mm-hmm. To redeem our character. Um, but I think we can kind of live blinkered lives and, and miss that, where if I see myself as, because because when I die, in a sense, people will tell the story of my life. So, it, right? I mean, yeah. it, it actually will happen, uh, unless I outlive all of you. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm older than all of you. Um, and so there is some sort of, of that that's truth that we sort of, I think we can, even if, even for me, who this is sort of something I believe, I can forget it, of course, on a day-to-day basis. And then everything just becomes transactional, right? Yeah. That I hey, did this and I paid this amount and I had this thing and I had this experience and it was good and discreet. And then that, that was that day. Yep. 
the death of a thousand details yes. of yes. the bottom lines. Right. Um, right. Hence the need right. for reminding. Right. What the, is that story? Was it Beekner, the the thousand yeah. trees of forest? Yeah, Frederick Beekner, also yeah. a great storyteller, yeah. uh, American theologian, uh, writes about um, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, um, from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Of the innkeeper is one, and it's got to be one of the most haunting perspectives. Yeah. Um, how the innkeeper missed the birth because he goes on to say, well, you know what it's like to, to run it in. Right. You know how, right. how what it's like and all the things right. you have to do and right. there's people to be fed. You get lost in the forest of, of details, yep. right? Uh, yeah, forest of a million, a million trees, a million things. Yes, right. And you yeah. get lost in that and you miss right. the bigger narrative. Right. Yep. So that's exactly, that sort of names something that that's what we do instead of living in the bigger story because the bigger story came to his door and he missed it. That's mm. the, that's the, 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 the theme of that, of that little vignette that Beekner writes is that the biggest story of all came to my actual, to my door. And I, I sent him away because I was busy with the details of life. Um, and so, yeah, so that's sort of, as I look at stories and I delve into stories, um, I think you don't want to analyze them because then you're not in the story. Right. But as you enter into the story and as you, as you then step out of a story that you've read or you've watched, like, so what is that saying? What about my story? Mm-hmm. And how does it help me think about my story differently? Uh, what, what meaning can that shine on it? And just like in that leave no trace, like surely it's not just what have I inflicted, but it's more the, I have inflicted. Yeah. That's the reality. It's, yeah. you know, they're, they're growing up now. Um, and everyone inflicts and everyone gets inflicted. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of just the, the deep grief of living in a broken world that you're sort of feeling in that moment that you, it's only two hours into the story that it's possible to get to that point and go, Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. There's me somehow. Yeah, that's me somehow. There's right. me in the story. Right. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna head us off here because we still have some wonderful things to talk about next week, and I think you're gonna bring in. We I see Flannery O'Connor, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien. Uh, we'll go into Mythopoeia, which is a uh, poem that Tolkien wrote to Lewis if I understand it correctly, that was very influential in Lewis's becoming a Christian. Myth, myth lover. Yeah, myth lover. He called yeah. him a myth lover. Mythopoeia is the right. title. It's a wonderful, right. wonderful poem. Yeah. So we have some great places to go next week. But I, I want to go back to close with a, a, just something that you said that I thought was so profound. I think it's true for us every single day. The, the biggest story of all is knocking on our door. I really think that's true. I think anyone listening, I think it's true. 10 times a day. Mm-hmm. The That's biggest right. story of all is helping, is inviting me, not in a banging on the door type way, but as a humble showing up, um, lightly tapping on the door, inviting me to get out of a million trees, a million things, a death by a thousand details and say, could you, could you be a part of something bigger? Mm-hmm. There's something bigger There's out something there. Bigger. Do right. you want it? Do you want to live your role um, in an impactful way? So, Guys, thanks for being here. So appreciative of you. Mike, thanks for being here. Um, Friends, thanks for listening. Look forward to seeing you next week. Grace and peace. 
Thanks for listening to The Subversive. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 